The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they manage to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Dive Podcast, where we explore mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. My name is Jonathan Busfield. I'm back here with co-host John Cuna. We are we are back. back. We are back. Yep. We are back. It's uh, it's been a little bit. If you check out our, uh, we encourage everyone to check out our last few episodes. We we diverted a little bit and a little detour did some interviews. We've yeah. kind of um, dipping our feet in the water there to try to get that started. Uh, John did an interview with Marco Sanchez, he's yeah. a strength coach. Love that. Um, I think the top thing from that episode that I took away was just getting into the conversation of, of sort of total health, right, mm-hmm. or whole health. I encourage people to go listen to that. It was a really fascinating episode. Um, then I did an interview with Matt Finn, who's an architect, which I thought went really well. And then we also had an interview with um, with Alan Cesaro, who is uh, he's a poet, he's an author. Uh, he also runs a, a sports blog um, that includes artwork and you know it's based out of the Bay Area. It's really cool. So I encourage everyone to check out those episodes. Uh, today, we're kind of coming back to the table together. We're going to delve into uh, Simone Biles and some general news. Um, we had the the pleasure of being on NPR recently. This mm-hmm. is our second time on the Radio Boston show. It's through the WBUR sort of Boston affiliate of NPR um, to talk about Simone Biles and, and the, the recent news with her. I think anyone watching the Olympics uh, is aware that that, that storyline kind of dominated um, the news cycle, for better or for worse. Um, so we're going to get into that today. So, John, you know, that it's a 20, you know, Radio Boston is usually a 15 to 20 minute episode. It goes by real fast, yeah. um, especially when the two of us are talking. Uh, sure. It can go by very quickly. Um, so we didn't get to cover everything we wanted to necessarily, um, but I think we thought we covered the main points. What was your what were your takeaways from that? I think... Uh, from from the from the interview, the episode, yeah. yeah, I think it was good. I think it was a good synopsis of some of like the main points um, that came up. That there's a lot more that what are that that's going on beneath the surface for a lot of different people and the different criticisms that um, athletes will get. We did specifically female athletes, specifically black female athletes. We talked about the unfair comparison um, that goes on with with that, which I thought was really important. Um, I think that that was a little bit of an overlooked um, narrative when people were talking about this. Um, It seemed, you know, we talked a little bit about the importance of, um, you know, prehab work or doing work ahead of time before Mm -hmm. things go wrong um, and how that work needs to happen, not just at a professional level or with Olympics or pro athletes, but it needs to happen at a much sooner age to get these kids prepared. Mm -hmm. Um, They all these athletes came from somewhere, came from youth programs, came from youth places. um, And if they're not given the level of support early on sort of like a ticking time bomb potentially. So um, we talked a lot about those different things. So I thought it was a really, it was short. Uh, It's hard to jam a lot of information. Mm -hmm. So we've got a lot of other stuff to kind of talk about today too. But uh, curious about what your thoughts were too. Yeah. Yeah. I thought we covered uh, quite a bit. I mean, it's such a nuanced topic and I think that's why um, it's almost impossible to expect 
you know, the reaction to be nuanced because I think uh, there are factors at play that just prevent that from happening, you know, and I think I want to get into that a little bit. I think the news cycle is so fast, right? So that's one, right? People, the news cycle goes by quickly and then recycles itself fast. So people move on from one point to the next with limited information. So mm-hmm. that's one. Um, but then it's, it's the, there's not enough time to one, let things sink in or, or B, even if you're letting, uh, two, even if you're letting things sink in to really, try to understand all the different, try to talk about all the different aspects, I think. So the, the news cycle moves quick. That's one, right? And secondly, news, the, the approach to media, I think, especially from a sports perspective, is, is about talking points, right? It's about finding one thing, mm-hmm. uh, sort of the aha or gotcha mm-hmm. kind of thing. Hot takes, yeah. Yeah, just tossing that out and then just, you know, almost encouraging uh, sort of vitriol or negativity or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So neither of those really open up any kind of an uh, effective pathway to actually discussing this on the level that it needs to be discussed for people right. to actually understand it, I don't think. Yeah. Um, so the news cycle is, is is very fast. That's that's part of it. And I think when anytime people are dealing with or forming opinions on limited information, that usually doesn't go very well, right? Um, they have to fill in the gaps with with what they don't know, and I mean the odds of that working out or being accurate are pretty slim. Now, if you factor in that people slant more negative towards negativity, brains slant three times as strongly towards negativity as as being positive, then you can imagine when you're filling in gaps of information you don't have, you're going to fill that with negative negative assumptions. Mm-hmm. You're not going to fill it with giving her the benefit of the doubt. You're not going to fill it with optimism. So you can see where that goes, right? I think that factors in. Um, I also think that you know things are rarely as simple or as black and white as we think right i think a lot of times we've discussed this in a lot of different episodes but people make sense of things in bi- when they're in binary terms a lot easier either or terms right good versus evil left versus right um that kind of thing where mm-hmm. but how many things in life really are that sort of one or the other right few things are right things are very nuanced so i think people tend to react quickly to falling into one camp right it's like either um her decision was fair and fans are terrible or some fans are right and she is to blame, right? It's kind of like you're in even one of those camps. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that that's really accurate to any of these ty- types of topics, right? No, I think, I think the point you bring up is sort of the, is one of the main ones is that specifically with media and I have other thoughts about it as well that we'll get into, but that they're not, people are not being given enough time to process for themselves, right? The two narratives come, came out really quickly. She's a quitter and she's terrible to the sports mm-hmm. and just push through it and mm-hmm. all the bullshit that we hear, which we'll talk about in a second. Or she's, you know, the best thing that's ever happened and all of these different things and don't, she can't criticize and all those different things. And I, 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 den- I definitely tend to lean more towards the, if she's not able to perform, she can't perform and that's her choice. It's her body. She can mm-hmm. do what she needs mm-hmm. to do with that. But I feel like the, for a lot of people, the impetus and quickness of like, okay, I got to post something to Instagram. And then that just, like you said, it just recycles the echo Mm -hmm. chamber of hearing those things. They don't have all the information, but it gets filled in for them, whether it's accurate or not, from the people who are sort of putting out those same messages. And then anytime dialogue comes in or any type of contradictory thought to what you've been like saturated Mm -hmm. with, you get these big, massive eruptions yep. and then no one talks about it yep. um, because it's too polarizing mm-hmm. and it's you're too afraid of saying the wrong thing and yep. getting canceled or yep. like yep. having an, a different opinion about something and it just it happens so quickly yeah um that's just the way of the world um the way yeah, the sort of media works fast right F- yeah, really yeah, fast yeah. and you're like forced 
to choose yes, camp yeah. instantly because yeah. you have to post about it or else if you yep. don't post then it's that's another story yep. and it's like it's this whole it's this whole convoluted just mess and yep. it does not allow for productive conversations about really serious topics like this one mental health and sports we i mean <laughs> we've been talking about it for quite a long time um it's not just a very simple black or white thing yeah. it never is to your point it's it's always nuanced yeah the atten- the attention span collectively and the and the the short span of the media cycle really incentivizes uh, hot takes and leaps without accurate information, yeah. right? I think if you're – and, you know, it's hard to – I don't even want to say I blame the people in the media. I mean, like, look, they're doing their best job. It's and, clickbait. If they you, just need to get people to, to click on their, on their articles. If you're trying to be successful in that field, you can't – I don't think you can be successful these days without doing so, that some of the time because mm-hmm. you will miss the wave. Right. Like you said, even if you're right and you wait and you have the, the most nuanced – that whole cycle is going to pass you by so fast mm-hmm. that you have no chance to hop in. Yep. And so, and it sucks because I think it, it totally incentivizes people who are talented and who understand that there's nuance to just go with 9% information and do their best because mm-hmm. they know that if they don't, they are totally sitting on the sideline and that's not going to do them any good. And right. they're looking out for themselves a little bit. So yep. I agree with you. This also makes me think of like, what for certain things, what is the best time frame to actually uh, assess, discuss, judge things right um on the bill simmons podcast or i think it's a rewatchable podcast from the ringer network they talk about like um the five-year oscars instead of the one-year oscars right Mm -hmm. and um, they've talked about this a couple times like thinking joking sort of but saying like ideally in terms of awarding oscars to movies it should be five years after that year right Mm -hmm. so for 2021 movies it should really be in 2026 when they decide who what movies win the oscars because how much goes into like how the movies age and how it it melds or creates a cultural shift or that mm-hmm. all those things factor in you can't possibly know that in 2021 when you, when you're doing right. the Oscars right away right and yet they're never going to do the a 5 year Oscars it's just never going to happen no. right and so this is similar where it's like ideally i would say 2 to 4 weeks is probably uh, probably for a month is probably the right amount of time to wait um for more information about a small bile situation to see uh, where all the chips fall and like what's really going on so mm-hmm. that we have somewhat completed information. We actually hear from her maybe or like God forbid that happens, right? Um, or that kind of – because that way you'd be able to – we'd all be able to discuss this accurately yep. without causing more damage unintentionally or intentionally. But that's never going to happen. That's what no. sucks is that like we – you know, the more – we can sit here and talk till we're blue in the face about how the media sucks and about how it needs to change. It's never going to change. Mm. It's just never going to change. So, I think we're big proponents of like – how do we work within an understanding of what we can control and what we can't control? We can't control the media. It's just mm-hmm. that's never going to change. Yeah. Uh, there are factors at play that we can't control. So how do we work around that, right? I think I don't know. There's I don't know the answer to this, but um, I certainly think getting hung up on um, trying to ever expect the media to change isn't, is going to leave us just disappointed. What do you think? You know, I think we just have to offer a different – try to offer a different way. Yeah. Uh, and for our loyal listeners, hopefully you guys appreciate it. 116 uh, on YouTube, by the way. There you go. Okay. Let's go. Um, <laughs> no big deal. So – but yeah, I mean, I think that the narrative, those two different camps were established before Simone even had a chance to fully articulate what it was that she was going on. Yeah, I mean, yeah. from the first minute she said she wasn't competing, those two things were – like yes great a, a, like an, another person to talk about mental health and sports and the importance of it awesome people jumped on that camp or she's a quitter um or you know tough it out and all that stuff and i'll get into the language in just a second of sort of my other take about that um but she hadn't even fully articulated like what it was that was going on for her. that took pretty much the entire course of 
of the Olympics for her to like get out all of the stuff that was going on for her, mm -hmm. talking about, you know, her aunt and then talking about her past and talking about trauma. Like that didn't, she didn't come out in the first time she talked about it. Yep. Um, and yet the narrative was completely taken away from her. Uh, I think that's probably one of my bigger issues of she wasn't really in control of her own narrative. Now, to play devil's advocate, she is in the public. That is sort of something that comes along with it that we're, we're never going to be able to change. But mm -hmm. I think that we can try to model following the lead of the person who's actually going through it and following again and sort of using what they're actually giving us versus what some broadcast person online is telling us that Simone's going through with no context or not even using what she's talking about. I think that we can provide a different a different option or a different thing of trying to look at all the all the information in a timely way rather than just like jumping into one of these camps and trying to get clickbait and things yep, like that. Yep. Maybe we'll never be successful media moguls because of that, but I don't think I don't we will because we, we even had text conversations yeah. where our main our main back and forth via text for the first week of this was yeah. Just kind of waiting for more information, right? right? Just kind see of see what happens, see what she says. Yeah. Uh, we don't know enough. Like that was right. our back and forth. And right. I think I agree that is going to uh, prevent us from ever being a media mogul. Yeah. And so be it. Whatever. And, and I think honestly, I think us as clinicians recognize the fact that like when somebody's we we talk about the concept of regression, but like when someone comes in and is in like bears their soul and opens up and is extremely vulnerable, it that you can have a little bit of like a regressive piece of like oh shit that yeah, was a yeah. lot yep. i need to now go back into internal put my guards up and like and all those things i think we kind of knew that there was probably a little bit of that going on mm -hmm. and it takes more time for her to build some comfort and confidence to even just be open with what was going on i think we tried to allow for that space so that i mean how long was it? it's what three weeks out yeah, since yeah. this all started yeah. and we're still trying to talk about it in an articulate way so um yeah maybe we don't get the most clicks on our youtube yeah. uh site but we can sleep at night though we can yeah. sleep at night <laughs> and we're and i think we're trying to put thoughtful analysis to yeah. a really complex situation rather than just being like yes it's bad or yeah. no it's good and I, I i think it needs i think that needs to happen more often yeah i agree i agree so some other i mean one of the things i talked about on the npr episode was just that fan you know i think someone asked a question uh a listener had maybe called in before we were on there and asked a question about whether fans think they they own the athlete yeah um and i think i think look some people probably do i think some fans are gonna like the way i said it was some fans are gonna tear down anyone just because um of their own vulnerabilities or insecurity or, or that kind of thing. And so some people just want to see the world burn usually because of their own pain that they're going through. Mm -hmm. um, aside from those people, I think most, most fans don't think they own the athlete, but they are consumers, right? Mm -hmm. And they, uh, they have expectations, which we know are dangerous and fans can be irrational. And I talked about that a little bit. I would just add to that, that like fans look forward to seeing, I don't think this is all fans that reacted negatively towards her. I think there are a lot in the just troll camp, right? Yeah. But some fans look forward to seeing someone like Simone Biles, and when they can't, even when it's not her fault, and even when her dropping out or temporarily or altogether was the best thing all around, they're still going to be disappointed, right? And disappointment, I think, can be a bit of a trigger uh, that causes irrationality with fans to kind of increase even more, right? We know that with people in general when they're when they're disappointed, when they're, they're you know when they're emotional. If if the emotion feeds into their behavior, which right. does for most people, it's going to lead to some some things happening that probably shouldn't happen. Um, so people want to watch her. They want to feel great doing it. Some people also want to feel great through the act of watching their country succeed and sort of being robbed of that creates sort of a button for disappointment and a, a bit of a domino effect. So that can be part of it. Um, I think fandom also fosters some groupthink, which can be dangerous so that mob mentality can kind of set in, which we know is, uh, you know, not a good thing. It can lead to even like sort of a compounded irrational behavior, mm -hmm. particularly on Twitter, right? When that happens on Twitter, 
it's even worse because social media and phones are kind of like extensions of the self, right? You and I have talked about this a little bit in the past, but I encourage people to be aware of like what are the things in your life that are extensions of you. Um, examples of this are phones, social media platforms in general, cars are extensions of the self, right? So there are things that that extend our reach and connection beyond what it would be without them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, think of cars. Like if without a car, you'd have to walk places, right? right? The way you interact with people would be in person, scale of a human on the sidewalk. Cars allow us to travel at a faster distance, get places quicker than long distances, that kind of thing. Those are extensions of the self. Social media does the same thing. It allows us to connect with people all over the planet in a way that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. So I, you, we could argue some elements of extensions of the self are good things, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they lead to advancement, but there are also some really uh, key downsides to that. And I think in general, extensions often equal less empathy. So the greater distance between you and the people you're acting with, uh, interacting with or discussing, that leads to reduced empathy, right? Because you're less connected to them on a real level. Extensions also equal a false sense of protection. So think of how like typing behind a keyboard gives people a false sense of protection or mm-hmm. being in a car, right? Like interactions, if you walked past someone on the street and bumped into them by an accident, most people, right, would react in a very apologetic way, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, sorry, sorry that happened, that kind of thing, right? They'd be nice. How many of those people would react that way in a car? Mm-hmm. If someone cut them off, right, or bumped them, like a bump, fence, or, like or a God forbid, bumped them, but yeah. like even just cut them off, right. or you know, got it, especially in the Northeast, right, got into their lane when they didn't signal, whatever. Mm-hmm. I know I've been guilty of this, right. You have this, you know, buffer of metal around you, and it just it it removes your mm-hmm. uh, logic and right. reason about how to treat people. I think that's an example of how the extensions of the self kind of work, and so I think Twitter sort of amplifies that. It just gives people this this place where they kind of are even more rational. They lose a sense of logic, reason, and how to treat people um, because of this false uh, buffer that they have, this sense mm-hmm. that they are gonna they can say whatever they want. There's no consequences. And I think right. it leads to a lot of irrational, sort of emotionally charged statements that they wouldn't make if Simone Biles was sitting next to them in a room. Right. Right? No, of course not. So um, that's one other takeaway. I mean, I think COVID has also um, made a lot of fans and people in general more stressed out. So we talk about Simone Biles' mental health, but I think collective mental health is not in a great place. Mm-mm. And so that leads to people being, uh, I would say, the odds are people are going to be way more reactive and not as level-headed because they are struggling, right? Just as much as we care for Simone Biles and her mental health, and I'm not defending fans here, particularly trolls, but even if you look at the, the biggest troll of the trolls, what do you and I see about what's really driving that? For, From a clinical perspective, like take the the biggest you know what on on Twitter, in terms of what they're probably saying about her or to her, and on the face it just seems like evil person, right? But yeah. when when you really look at what drives that, what do we what do we see? Oh, it's always just a reflection of the self, yeah, when right? Their, their own internal turmoil or their jealousy or whatever it happens to be, or right? Their, like you said, feelings of like being robbed or whatever, disappointed by what happened. They can't see the best, you know, represent their country and they're sad or upset about it and rather than dealing with that which they're entitled to feel disappointed they're mm-hmm. entitled to feel sad about that mm-hmm. i'm not trying to take them away of that yep but then i think the way that media's work and having these two narratives is like these big funnels right and those disappointment anger sadness kind of like captures you in that funnel and eventually brings you down into mm-hmm. the like and i have a way and a means yep. to articulate this Absolutely. frustration rather than i'm sad and disappointed i can also be caring and empathetic to the fact that she can't but i can also be empathetic or uh, i can also be disappointed that she 
isn't. And I think when they get to the place of like down at the bottom of that funnel, it's all just their own internal Correct. stuff that's coming out and misguided and putting it into in place that it doesn't that it doesn't belong. Correct. Rather than just sitting with like the feelings that that sparked that that process to begin with. Exactly, dude. It's it's people who have have their own major challenges, probably of a mental health nature, have no idea how to cope with their own emotion or even understand it sometimes effectively, and they aim it at other people in a very aggressive way, particularly guys, right? Mm-hmm. And I think. So it's not to I'm not excusing these people. I just uh, you know, I would encourage people we care about Simone Biles' health, but it's not as simple as saying let's care about her health. These are all awful people. We have to think about mental health in terms of how it affects everybody and a lot of people are in a, a place. If you see someone that's acting like like uh, a troll on Twitter, what I see and this is just from being in the field I think for a long time, I just see a person that's in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't excuse what they're doing and it's still not fair to the person they're doing it to. But if we're going to change that, I think we have to meet that person with an understanding of what what actually drives that behavior. Because otherwise, we're just going to throw gasoline on a fire oh, yeah. that is already burning way hotter than it needs to. It's not going to help anything to right. just demonize those people. Yeah, we have to understand them and, yeah. and really talk about what drives that behavior. Yeah, it sort of reinforces it, right? To to go back at them in like a mean mean spirit. Absolutely, way, right? It just reinforces the behavior to continue doing Correct. even more rather than like. Like you said, catching them off guard of like, whoa, are you okay? Yep. Right. If they're being like exactly. targeted and mean and awful exactly. and you're just like, man, are you good? Yes. Um, and you shake them off their guard of like, oh, uh, uh, yeah, no. Uh, you know, and the amount of times that we've That's seen actually that happened. Have you ever done sessions, that? Because I've yeah. actually done that. And it, <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, I use that all the time. Exact reaction. You I get. use it all yep. the time. Yep. They like, they, they're like, shit, yeah. like, maybe I'm not okay. Yep. Right. And then yep. you, you can, you just turn the whole thing on them and that's, it, you start to have them sort of process and see what this, what's going on for themselves. But of course, this and, is the problem, right? When it's, like when it's in front of the masses, Twitter. that collective embarrassment, no, no. perceived embarrassment, will prevent them from no reacting way. in the way. Yeah. But if it's one on one, right? Um, I encourage everyone to like. We'll we'll put the link to the um, NPR interview that we did. Um, we really appreciate um, you know them having us on, and uh, you know Tiziana. Uh, and Chris Satoric, the producer, um, you know, Tiziana is the host, but Chris Satoric is the producer. We really appreciate them having us back on again. This is the second time. And uh, hopefully we get a chance to do that more in the future. Yeah, it was really great. One of the things that we that we didn't get a chance to talk about, just one of my one of the last points, yeah. um, is that you know throughout time we get these opportunities, like these vital moments in history to make, like to, to start to see an issue that's been seen in a certain way in a different way. And it's usually very challenging. It's really difficult. It's hard because you're sort of trying to shift the status quo. And mm-hmm. anytime you're trying to do mass change, people revert back to what they know and what's comfortable, even if it's not really in their best interest. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that type of stuff is going on um, that we're sort of in it right now where it's starting to shift, but it takes a lot of time. Um, and I think a lot of the a lot of the things that I heard people talking about when trying to have good conversations, and I wanted to bring it up to give them credit for trying, but also sort of shed my insight on that is you know the, the I, I sort of pushed away the side of like it's not a real injury or like she's got to just like blah 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 right like I, I I kind of just discount those because that's just like you're so far behind and if she came with a broken leg you wouldn't be having the same the same reaction to that you would mm-hmm. be like oh that's there just because it's a hidden injury doesn't mean that it doesn't exist mm-hmm. um, and when you're asking someone to flip upside down who's seeing themselves do something inside of their head she's what you're, you're you're okay with putting her at risk of like breaking her neck and being paralyzed so I, I don't I don't see that one the one that I the one that I was sort of drawn to that I saw a lot was the, um, you know athletes have always had to deal with high pressure moments and athletes have always 
you know, had to deal with these types of things and athletes now are just soft. That's a word and a phrase that I hear like all the time, like athletes are soft or like we've always had to do that. And I think it comes from the the language I will say predominantly came from older generation of people who grew up watching these types of things. However, we talked about it just now, but they did not have to deal with the same type of pressure that these athletes do now. It is a completely different game. Athletes 20 years ago didn't have the entire world have access to them, mm-hmm. right? Who can send the messages just on a whim and say, hey, you're a terrible person or you're awful, or you're terrible. They don't. They didn't have the same ridicule and the same exposure to the world that the athletes do now. It's an entirely different mm-hmm. a pressure that they didn't have to do. Um, and I also hear the, the same of like, well, you know, there's, there's so much value of like pushing through your anxiety and you'll feel so much better when you do. And wow – I certainly agree in certain circumstances. You know, you talk a lot about like the 80-20 rule of like 80%. If you can push yourself through, that's great. But there's that still that 20% that's like it actually can be quite dangerous yeah. if you try to engage in that. And I think that people just need to recognize that. Um, and when you maybe have those automatic responses to situations like this, I just encourage you to maybe dive a little bit deeper and ask for just a little, a little bit, <laughs> just a little and kind of try to understand where that might come from. Is that a repeated word and phrase that you've just heard mm-hmm. or is that a, an authentic thought? And if it is, then I just, I, I guess I challenge you to see the broader picture of it all. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up because this kind of touches on something else that I was trying to think about how to describe and that I find really fascinating. And so the, I guess I'll just dive into it and then we'll we'll try to make sense of it together. You can help me out. You got uh, it. Tease out this this thought uh, loop. So I, the way I wrote it down was like people overvalue what is missing or didn't happen and they undervalue the negative or downside effect of what they witness. And so where I see this come up, right, let's start with the main example I think of. I think of Tom Brady versus Joe Montana, okay? And so I'll describe what I mean by that, right? A lot of people – now, some people just troll Tom Brady because they, they – again, we talked about the people that are just going to hate because mm-hmm. someone else is successful and they can't stand it, whatever. A lot of people still still try to argue, okay, that J- Joe Montana is better than Tom Brady. Not as many as they used to, but still try to argue that Joe Montana is better because he went 4-0 in the Super Bowl and Tom Brady is now 7-3. and So, those three losses, right? Joe Montana didn't have those three losses, right? And this just boggles my mind. But what it really shows is that people, this is the thing, right? So that what I hear is that six seasons, not including Super Bowl wins, right? Six seasons for Joe Montana were seasons that Tom Brady actually advanced farther than him. Mm -hmm. Advanced farther all the way to the Super Bowl, lost the Super Bowl. But in those six seasons for Joe Montana, he didn't even make it to the Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. right? So people value the absence of Joe Montana making those extra six Super Bowls over the fact that Tom Brady made it farther, made it to those and lost in in three of them anyway, right? That to me is unbelievable, right? I think this similar thing happens with with Simone Biles. I think people, they overvalue their sort of, they they will go back and think like, I was an athlete. I pushed through this. I I could do, like I would have pushed through, right? And it's exactly what you're saying where it's like- between high school, hockey, like would you have? Because actually- The best in the world ever. Correct. It's like actually you either gave up (laughs) 20 years ago, right? right? Like 99% earlier than Simone Biles. If Simone Biles hasn't even given up yet, right? Mm -hmm. You gave up 99% earlier and or didn't have the talent or work ethic, right? Most of the time it's work ethic, but talent goes into it, right? Um, I don't know which one's more important. I'd say, you know, depends on the sport, depends on whatever, yeah. right? They're both important. But these are people who gave up so much earlier on sports in their own life. And then they're acting as if they would have done, right? So it's very similar to the Tom Brady, Joe mm-hmm. Montana thing where it's like you're overvaluing 
the fact that you didn't make it as far as her and you're undervaluing the fact that she has made it 2,000 times farther yeah. and had to drop out temporarily. You know, see what I'm saying? Right. So it's like the, the example of Tom Brady having a loss in a Super Bowl, but yeah, he still made 10 Super Bowls. And you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. It makes it, it's so, sports is, it all comes down to when you get to that, that level, it's just everything's weighted in wins and losses. Right. And so if you can, if you add losses to it, it's the same sort of argument that people get into. And I, I guess I fall into the, this is when I become a fan. Um, like the LeBron MJ type of type of situation of like, well, well, MJ's better because he, you know, never went game sevens and things like that, right? Right, right, right. right. Um, and you know, LeBron has not surpassed the num the number of championships, so there's still that. But those those losses and things like that get weighed way heavier than mm -hmm. they than they necessarily mm -hmm. should be. And I think it comes down to that of like people when it thinks of sports, it's just wins and losses. So if Brady has the presence of Either losses. Or, it's like right? nope, it's the binary. Montana, yes. Montana never had those, so. Yes. Right, I want to be in the camp of hating Brady. So, what what's the evidence and ways that I can try to do that? I'm guilty of this for sure as a yeah. fan when I'm talking about LeBron, especially with some of my friends. One friend in particular who I just go back and forth on about him, of uh, mostly just to to troll him because I know mm -hmm. it gets him going. Mm -hmm. um, but the same type, same types of things of like, oh, he's a he's a terrible person because of this, right? Or he's a terrible player because of this, mm -hmm. and completely gloss over the fact that he's like opened up a private school for kids to help yeah. them get to college and paying for their entire tuition exactly. like hundreds of yeah. kids, right? And like all that stuff. And I'm managed like, the limelight since age like 14. Right. That's right. pretty good. Of a miracle. Pretty good record yeah. given the circumstances, right? But no, I don't I don't focus on that stuff. I just go for the <laughs> other piece. So I can understand it as like a fan yeah. how that goes. Um, but I think, you know, I, I do it in jest. I do it in joking to, to, to get at my – to, to job my buddy. Yeah, yeah. But I think that people really – I think people take it too far. Yeah. And then when they have, to your point, like the platforms to be able to speak out about it, they they get Agreed. a little bit overconfident. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. So we on Tom Brady, we were going to speak a little bit about Tom Brady and, and other athletes as being drastically underpaid based on the value they add to their uh, employer. I think I'm, we, maybe we can save that for a different episode because yeah. I have some thoughts on that. I want to give it its due. I also think we could draw parallels to, to the real world, right? And non-sports jobs, I should say, not the real world, the non-sports world, right? In terms of People that aren't athletes, but, you know, in the workplace, what is your true value? How do you even know that? How do you consider what you think it is versus a business perspective? Mm -hmm. I think you get people on two sides of that. You get business owners who are passionate about the metrics of running a business. And then you get people who have never run a business who are passionate about their own needs. And there needs to be, in my opinion, there needs to be like, we got to come to the table and help people understand both sides yeah. of that. I think yeah. we have some unique perspectives on, on both sides. Um, from my past before I owned a business and our, our time owning a business, I think has, has shown me both sides of that. So yeah. maybe we'll make that his own episode. So we'll end this for today. Um, we want to encourage people to uh, check out the show notes, check out that NPR uh, interview that we did, check out our last couple episodes where we did interviews. We want to get some feedback on how those interviews went, what people thought. Yeah, I'm going to be uh, bringing Marco back in for a part two. We're going to go a little bit more like in-depth to like awesome. the nitty-gritty specific stuff. So. Same with Matt Finn. Yeah, um, first sure. one was kind of just like an intro to what we do, but then we're going to really dive into to yep. like core training practices and examples and things like that next time he comes in. So Absolutely. definitely tune in for that for people who are interested in learning about that. That's awesome. Um, and we def definitely encourage people to um, you know follow us on YouTube, hit subscribe because we're at 116. The views, uh, the video views, no view numbers are going up, mm -hmm. um, and you know we just want people to to give us some feedback. So subscribe and then leave a comment. Like let us know what you think. Mm -hmm. Like we're 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 not making any assumptions that we're doing this perfectly. We're trying to improve. So anytime we can get feedback, that really helps on that. 
Um, so we want to thank everyone for listening to the Grim Drive podcast for this discussion about Simone Biles and some some uh, general news. We will be back next week to talk about Evander Kane and gambling. Awesome. Thanks, guys.